What's going on, family? Happy Tuesday, and welcome to another edition of The Faction Quick Hits. It's your man, GB Gerard Bonner, and I hope you guys are doing well. Hope you had an amazing start to your week this week. It is the first full week of the month of February, and yeah, it's going to be an exciting month. It's a short month, but certainly there's a lot that can be accomplished in this short period of time. Absolutely. Want to give a big shout out to everybody who's joining us by way of social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Faction Show. Also, shout out to everybody who's hanging out with us by way of podcast. If you're listening, which means that's you, thank you so much for your continued support of what we're doing. Do me a favor, if you will, and uh, subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave a comment wherever it is that you're listening to us. Those things really do help others see what we're doing be exposed to what we're doing, and ultimately subscribe and experience what you're experiencing right now. Okay, so today is Tuesday. We are in the month of February, and one of the things I'd like to do in the month of February on Tuesdays is really focus in on Black History Month. It is African American History Month all around the country, And certainly there are so many aspects of it to focus on, and I'd love to focus on it from the perspective of pro wrestling. So each week, we're going to take a look at perhaps uh, a superstar, a figure, a situation uh, that has been of great impact for the African-American wrestler. Now, if you are not African-American, don't stress and don't feel bad. This might actually be a good space to educate yourself on uh, what African-Americans have dealt with in the world of pro wrestling. Because one of the things that I would say happens to be true, depending upon your entry sport into the world of pro wrestling, is that there hasn't always been a focus on racial equality in the world of pro wrestling. We see, of course, good guys and bad, and of course we get to the Attitude Era and all the lines get blurred, Uh, but there's always this fight of good versus evil, and if we're honest, sometimes in the world of pro wrestling, I know growing up, I initially didn't see what we call color, right? You just saw wrestlers. You did notice, you know, how people were portrayed or the like, but then again, you really didn't notice how people were portrayed, all of the microaggressions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we hope to bring some light to some of that uh, in this series that we're doing every Tuesday here in the month of February. And you know us, it could go longer just based on how you're responding to the content. So With that said, I want you to stay locked because this is going to be something super special and hopefully bring some insight to you in terms of what African-Americans have dealt with and why certain moments in 2020, 2021 and forward really mean a lot in the world of pro wrestling. So if we're going to discuss the African-American in pro wrestling history, one of the spaces that I want to start is putting focus on a gentleman by the name of Ron Simmons. Ron Simmons. You may know him as the first African-American world heavyweight champion, and we're going to get into that. But we're going to talk a lot about Ron Simmons, what he did in this business, what he did for the business, and uh, unearth perhaps some commentary that you may not have heard to show really the trailblazer that Ron Simmons is. So, Ron Simmons, um, before he became a pro wrestler, was a noted football player. He played defensive tackle in college for Florida State University. He was recognized there as an All-American, and he is one of only a handful of people whose jersey was retired by Florida State University. That happened in 19. 19- 
1988. He played for the Seminoles from 1977 to 1980 as a defensive nose guard under the great coaching of Bobby Bowden. In 1979, he finished ninth in the Heisman Trophy voting behind the winner, Charles White of USC. And he's a part of multiple football halls of fame, including the Orange Bowl Hall of Fame for what he did there in Florida State. And he was elected to the College Football Hall of Fame in 2008. He did play professional football as well, playing in the NFL, the CFL, and the USFL. It's the National Football League, the Canadian Football League, and the United States Football League for four seasons during the 80s. He was selected in the sixth round of the NFL draft in 1981 and played for the Cleveland Browns in 81 and 82. Then he played for the USFL's Tampa Bay Bandits from 1983 to 1985. And interestingly enough, it was on the Tampa Bay Bandits that he would play alongside another future pro wrestler by the name of the Total Package, Lex Luger. Ron Simmons enters the world of pro wrestling in 1986, and he didn't do a lot of independent wrestling. He came right in as part of Jim Crockett Promotions, the NWA, and what would later be known as WCW. In 86, of course, he was a fan favorite and found himself in matches against folks like The Barbarian, The Varsity Club, being Mike Rotunda and Kevin Sullivan, and he actually teamed with Dr. Death Steve Williams as part of the third annual Crockett Cup in April of 1988. But speaking of tag teams, his tag team fortune would really pick up in 1989 when he would be debuted as part of a masked tag team known as Doom. At Clash of the Champions 10 in 1990, Doom would go through some significant changes as they lost a match to the Steiner brothers and as a result, they were forced to unmask. That's where the world learned that Doom was the team of Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. Well, in just a couple of months, they'd find themselves with a new manager, former referee Teddy Long, and that would lead them to a tag team title match for the NWA World Tag Team Champions against the same Steiner brothers who defeated them just a couple of months ago. They would go on to win that championship at Capital Combat in 1990 and held the titles for nine months, defeating teams like the Four Horsemen and the Rock and Roll Express. They would lose those titles in February of 1991 against the Freebirds. They'd break up after that, and then Ron Simmons would return to being a babyface, and it would be then, in 1992, that the whole thing would change for Ron Simmons. Now, there was supposed to be a championship match at a house show in Baltimore, Maryland, between Sting and the then world champion Big Van Vader. Sting, however, had been injured by Jake the Snake Roberts, and so Bill Watts, who was the president of WCW, responded by holding a raffle to determine the number one contender for the championship. That would be Ron Simmons, and in that match, he would hit a power slam and defeat Vader to become the new WCW champion, becoming the first African-American to win a world championship in a major company. Now, his title reign was only five months, 
However, he battled and defeated folks like Cactus Jack, the Barbarian, and was scheduled to battle Ravishing Rick Rude at Starcade, but ended up facing instead Dr. Death Steve Williams, his former tag team partner. That, of course, would go to a double countout, and his reign would end just two days later, December the 30th, 1992, as he would lose the championship to Vader. So while many remember him as the first African-American world champion, and that is wildly significant, perhaps it's his work in WWE that made him the most famous, or some would say infamous. Now, modern day fans may remember him for his time as part of another tag team with John Bradshaw Layfield, aka Bradshaw, and they were known as the Acolytes, or ultimately the APA, and that tag team lasted from 1998 to 2004. They would win multiple World World Tag Team Championships and ultimately go on to become great singles wrestlers as well as just amazing personalities. But it was before the APA, between WCW, his brief stint in ECW, and his time as part of the APA, where perhaps some of Ron Simmons' best work was done, and it's also his least heralded work. When Ron Simmons first enters the WWE, he enters in 1996, the summer of 96, where he comes in as a gladiator who wore black and blue and was named Farouk Assad. He was initially managed by Sonny, and if you remember that episode, when he comes out and makes an attack, Jerry the King Lawler, live on television, did not call him Farouk, but said, hey, that's Ron Simmons which kind of created an interesting scenario. By November of that year, he would drop the whole gladiator situation, part ways with Sonny, and form the Nation of Domination. Now, the Nation of Domination, while they weren't exclusively African-American to begin, they would eventually head that way as perhaps the most famous combination of the Nation of Domination was Farouk, Mark Henry, D'Lo Brown, and a young superstar who needed a bit of an edge at that time. Known initially as Rocky Maivia, he would then adopt the persona of The Rock. And what many don't really understand or remember when looking back at the Attitude Era and the Nation of Domination is that Farouk, aka Ron Simmons, and the Nation would really attack some very taboo issues. Issues that were taboo then and uh, I can't imagine being publicly discussed now. Not just issues of, you know, sexuality, et cetera, et cetera, but they talked specifically about racism. I want to take you to a promo that began an episode of Monday Night Raw. A little backstory is the week before, the locker room for the Nation of Domination had been vandalized, and there were all sorts of interesting things on the wall, which would allude to the fact that this was a racist attack. I want you to hear the promo that was cut by Ron Simmons and The Rock against the Hart Foundation and Degeneration X. Check this out. No, we didn't ask for this opportunity to speak. We asked for this opportunity to come out here and ask you and to address why is there racism here in the World Wrestling Federation when you just said yourself last week or two weeks ago that there wasn't. Now you tell me what's that all about. Let's take this one step at a time, please. On behalf of whomever it was that was responsible for the vandalism in your locker room, 
and to a certain extent the racial slurs. On behalf of the World Wrestling Federation, we apologize for, for what happened. Oh, you apologize. Do you think you can come out here and apologize to me for over 400 years of what we call antagonizing, slavery, washing your car, taking care of your kids, building your houses, building this country, and you think you can apologize just like that? Well, let me tell you something, man. I'm a new breed of black man, like the nation is. Hey, I'm gonna tell you how we are. Did you know what your apology is to me? This is how we take apologies, with these and with this. Oh, wait just a minute. There is no racism here in the World Wrestling Federation. We don't allow it, won't allow it under any circumstances. And that's the bottom line. Well, I'll tell you what. Ask my brother Rocky right here. Is there any racism here in the World Wrestling Federation? Well, let's not. Let's get off this subject, all right? Let's go to something else. We don't need to drive this into the ground. Let's get off this subject. Rocky? Heart Foundation, with what you did last week, you crossed a line you should never have crossed. Because now it is a black and a white thing. You know, and being a straight shooter I am, I've dealt with racism and discrimination all of my life. You can hear the response from this capacity crowd. And each and every time I was knocked down, I damn sure popped right back up. So Heart Foundation, I'm gonna show you what it's like to deal with discrimination all of your life. But the difference between you and me is, is when I knock your asses down, you won't get back up. Heart Foundation, it all started with a boat ride, but it's gonna end with a blank fist right on the side of your, on your white ass. We are challenging you to a, a match next week right here. And if you got the guts like you all say you do, then you'll accept the challenge. Come out here and show these people what kind of challenge. You and wait a minute, that, that challenge just might be answered. Here comes the hitman Bret Hart. Here comes baby boy Smith, Owen Hart, Jim the Anvil, not Hart, the entire Hart Foundation. So, first things first. I don't know that a promo like that could be cut in 2021 simply because uh, WWE is a much more corporate space. And I think specifically with the Donald Trump presidency, WWE has really worked hard to stay away from political issues because of how divisive they could be. I also think this, that I don't know how many people would boo the nation of domination. Now, let me be clear. I think the nation of domination would be received today definitely along the same lines as a Black Lives Matter movement, which means there would be those who absolutely would love what's happening. There would be those who would consider to be sympathizers. And then there would be a whole nother group of folks that would absolutely be against the Black Lives Matter movement, against talk of racism, against the nation of domination. And I think the same type of polar 
division that you see in the United States would be reflected in the WWE. And I don't know that WWE could necessarily control that very well. Be that as it may, the bravery it took for Ron Simmons to have those kinds of conversations publicly, and it wasn't just that promo. He cut other promos asking Vince McMahon specifically, why is it that a black man has never held the WWE Championship? Go back in the WWE Network and check out those episodes of Raw. Look for the Nation of Domination. I promise you're going to hear things that will shock you, and it'll shock you not not because they weren't true, but because they were actually said. That is the brainchild of Ron Simmons. That is one of the reasons why he is so highly revered in the world of pro wrestling because he was brave enough not just to rest on his laurels as the first african-american world heavyweight champion but to then look for equality within the wwe and in pro wrestling in general i think it's also interesting to take a look at this fact that two of the other three members of the nation of domination would later hold the world title in wwe that being the rock and then mark henry none of that happens if ron simmons doesn't blaze the trail not just as the first african-american world champion but as someone who was willing to openly have these discussions on television when most of us think about the attitude era we talk about Degeneration X, we talk about the NWO, we talk about, you know, salacious promos and overtly sexual innuendos, but we don't talk about the conversations that happened about racism. And other moments in that promo would probably blow you away to hear how Bret Hart talks specifically about how America is a racist country and how Degeneration X then accuses Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation of being racist and calls him the Grand Wizard of the KKK. Like, it's really crazy when you think about this was openly discussed and put on television in the Attitude Era. Certainly wouldn't happen now, but Ron Simmons is a big, big part of that, leading the charge to discuss equality for the African-American wrestler. He would go on and retire in 2004. He would then be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2012. And since then, he has worked with a number of wrestlers behind the scenes. He is part of the Legends program in WWE and is still one of the most highly respected wrestlers across the world of pro wrestling. Our African-American history focus for today is the great Ron Simmons, former world champion, multiple time tag team champion, leader of the nation of domination, and one of the most respected athletes, be it football or pro wrestling, in all of the world. I want to hear your thoughts on our look at Ron Simmons, some of your favorite memories as well. We'll be talking about it on social media as well. Definitely looking forward to hearing your thoughts and I'd love to hear who you'd like for us to focus on next Tuesday as we continue our look at African American history in pro wrestling. Remember tomorrow we'll be talking about Monday Night Raw. We'll get you ready of course for the Wednesday Night War and there's a lot more that's coming as well. This week is also show week 
week for SHW. SHW 24 goes down this Friday. So uh, make sure you're joining us on our live pre-show. If you're here in the Atlanta area, we'd love to have you come and join us in Canton, Georgia. You can check out our social media for more information. Tickets will be available at the door 5 p.m. Eastern on Friday with bell time at 8 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be amazing. There's going to be social distancing. You're going to be safe, but it's going to be a lot of fun for you to check out uh, what's going on in the world of pro wrestling at SHW, Southern Honor Wrestling. All right. Until tomorrow, I want you guys to be safe. I want you to be sound, and I want you to continue to enjoy all that's happening in the world of pro wrestling. Until then, it's your man GB Gerard Bonner representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the Fourth Horseman. Collectively, we're known as The Faction. Have an amazing day. Salute my people, here we go. Salute my people.